This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey folks, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 175, recorded on Monday, September the 15th, 2014. And I'd like to begin today's program by apologizing for my voice. I'm a little bit sick. I blame my children, as usual, when I get sick. The children are wrong. Yeah, they are. Um, it's, it's only the second week of school here in southern Ontario, and there are already, you know, germ factories bringing it home and infecting me. So if I sound a little off or I, I don't know, cover the microphone and snot at some point, I apologize. But hopefully we can get through the next uh, hour and a half or so. Yeah, to be honest, you don't sound all that different. Well, it sounds different in your head, I'm sure, because of the added mucus and various fluids and things. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the outside world here, it's not a whole lot different. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. Uh, we'll see how things go because it may deteriorate. But anyways, right, that's true. That, and uh, and it's September fifteenth, which is my brother's birthday. So uh, happy birthday, Jeff! Happy birthday, Jason's brother, Jeff. Does he listen? Oh God, no. <laughs> no. Good Lord, no. All right. Uh, does your mom listen? No. She doesn't, uh, my mom doesn't have email for crying out loud. Oh, so she's not really listening to podcasts or anything. No, I can't text my mom. I can't email my mom. Nothing. Does she, she listen to audio books? No. Books on tape? No. Huh. Does she watch TV? She watches TV. Okay. <laughs> that's good. So she's in the 20th century. Yeah, at least. That's good. All righty. Well, that's, that's exciting. Hopefully I sound all right as we go on here. I also want to point out that we are now within a month. We are inside a month from season five starting. We are inside the month. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's the 15th of September. It comes back on October the 12th. So we are less than a month away, which is great because it feels like it's been a long summer waiting for this to happen. The anticipation is high and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So it's good that it's going to be back in less than four weeks, man. Awesome. And then we will be back to our regular schedule of recapping the crap out of episodes, reading feedback, doing holy crap moments. It's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to getting back to a regular regular schedule. Yeah, me too. And with that in mind, if you didn't listen to our last podcast, it was a really short one just to, uh, well, talk about the fifth anniversary of the show, but also announce our um, season five record your favorite scene contest. So if you missed that... Here are the details. Like in season four, what we are doing is throwing it out there and asking people to get together with their friends or maybe by yourself and record your favorite scene from The Walking Dead. Use your phone, use your computer. Uh, you can call You can call in to our voicemail line if you want and do it that way. Um, but pick a scene and record it. And uh, what it is, it's a big contest. And at the end of season five, we choose our favorite for a really fantastic prize. Yeah. And what is that prize, Chris? You you did announce the prize, so we can say again, right? I did. The prize is a complete set of Walking Dead number 100 comics. They put out a bunch of special uh, special covers for number 100, and I have a complete set of the retail covers, so we're going to give that away, and they're all in good condition as far as I know. Never opened, always bagged and boarded, been sitting on my shelf for a couple of years now. So you're, we're, we're doing that. And we're also going to include a vinyl replica toy of something from, 
issue number 100. Right. And that's where I'm leaving that. So if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about, probably. It's a very important item from that episode. And if you haven't read it, well, go look, uh, go look on the internet. You can probably figure it out. So it's a pretty good prize pack, if I do say so myself. Awesome. So record your favorite scene. Get it into us. You can send it from any season of The Walking Dead. It's really fun. We play them on the air. Um, go grab the last episode for a couple of examples of entries or listen to pretty much any episode from season four while we were covering that season. Uh, I played as many as I could. Lots of good examples, and it's super fun. So uh, get those in. At some point, I'll post all this information on our website, <laughs> which you think I would have done, you know, last week. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the kids are back to school. You, you know, things are busy. You've got uh, some kind of illness, uh, right. you know, you don't take your time. Yeah. I, I plan to, uh, I will definitely have the information up there before season five starts. Let's put it that awesome. way. Okay. That's a month. We're inside a month of you doing that. Thanks. Thanks. I know. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about being th- at this point in the in the summer, or I guess the fall before season five starts, and I was thinking about. Uh, you're you're aware of the theory of uh, what is it, Schrodinger's cat? Or oh, maybe, yeah. maybe it's not a theory. It's, Schro- it's Schrodinger's cat box experiment. Right. It's. I think it's. They were call it a thought experiment. Right. It's a thought experiment, similar to uh, the theory of relativity. There's thought experiments. Just logically, what would happen? The idea is that a cat is put in a box with um, some sort of radioactive material, right? And it's a radioisotope, uh, and or something happens if there's some kind of weird, uh, you know, atomic action that uh, at some point the uh, the radioisotope will decay. Mm-hmm. setting off, uh, set, releasing a poison and killing the cat. Right. And that, that decay of the radioactive element is is a random event, yeah. as, as I understand it. So when you put all these three in the box, before you open the box, both um, scenarios exist in that the cat is both alive and dead at the same time. And not until you open the box and look inside does the sort of reality of what's happening form itself into your timeline more or less yeah and i was thinking about that in relation to the walking dead season five episode one we are at a point in time now right now where that episode is both the greatest thing you've ever seen on tv and at the same time simultaneously the worst piece of crap that's ever been shown to you and everything in between and everything in between so it's a it, all i'm trying to say is and it's an exciting moment to be at because it could be the best thing ever and uh, hopefully it's not the worst thing ever Right. And you can use that in, uh, in in social interaction, too. If someone asks you to a party and uh, you uh, you don't know if you want to go, you know, you could go and it could be the best party you've ever uh, been to. You could not go to the party and it'd be a complete piece of crap. You could decline the party and it'd be the best party you've ever been to. You could de- decline the party and it could be a big piece of crap. So there's four possible options. Uh, the the best thing you can do is to not decide because then you get all four options all at the same time with no downside. Right. So the best thing to do is not open the box and uh, and everything yeah. everything that could exist does exist. Exactly. Now, this has taken longer than I even anticipated, but uh, if when we're talking about something like a TV show or, or with the cat, I should say, there are two... Um, definable outcomes. The cat is either alive or dead. It can't be a little bit dead or a little bit alive. 
But with right. a TV show, you uh, you know there are ranges of of whether you like it or not, and it's also a personal subjective opinion. So, does the thought experiment actually apply in this case, or do you need two definable outcomes, either or? Well, the problem with the cat box experiment is that uh, me personally, uh, it falls the logic falls under the category of ludicrous, and you know, the cat can't be both dead and alive at the same time, in my personal opinion. It's just, as a thought experiment, it kind of works. So, But in reality, the cat is either alive or dead, regardless of whether you look at the damn cat, right? Yeah, but if a tree falls in a forest, does it really make a sound? It sure does, because <laughs> it, it depends on what you define sound as. Is sound uh, a series of waves that can be detected by our ears, or is it a series of waves, waves that is detected by our ears? Right, it all depends on how you define sound. So the cat box experiment, it all you know depends on how you define dead cat. I'm pretty sure you can definitively define sound one way or the other, and therefore get an answer to the question. Yeah, but it's a philosophical question. So the, you know, Schrodinger's cat box experiment is more of a you know just kind of a, a it's a parable, if you will, mm-hmm. that if if you don't know an outcome, uh, all of the outcomes are true. So. Uh, I think it does apply to a television show in a broader spectrum. Just the, the, the cat box experiment just illustrates a point, in, okay. my, in my opinion. So that point, you can extend to a broader range of possible options. Uh, and there's also the, you know, the thing is, the cat knows if it's dead or not. Really. <laughs> well, it definitely well, it knows, knows if it's alive, and yes. if it doesn't know that it's alive, it's dead. So, and with the TV show, there's a lot of people out there that know what's going on with this with this television show. So it's not in a vacuum; it's not in a bubble. Okay, right? somebody knows what's going on. So, but you're right. It uh, with the extension of the Schrodinger's cat box experiment, all the possibilities are true. It could be the best. You know, it is the best TV show that you will ever see and the biggest piece of crap that ever, you know, stank up the airwaves, you know, all at the same time. Well, let's hope we are closer to the uh, former there when, as you list those. And, and I just like to say, this is why I have you on the show, because I know you'll have interesting insights about stuff like this and things that you wouldn't think would relate to TV or <laughs> anything we you talk about. You brought up the cat box experiment. I just knew what you were talking about. That's true. Well, that's why you're here, because you always know what I'm talking about. Um, I, I do have to credit, though, a listener who, unfortunately, whose name I can't remember right now. This all stems back to when I mentioned I'd watched the movie Coherence, and right. he, he tweeted that he really enjoyed the movie, too, and that you should give the movie a chance because there was some Schrodinger's cat sort of themes going on in there. Right. So that's why... Schrodinger's cat uh, really uh, played a prominent role in a couple of episodes of uh, Big Bang Theory, too. Mm. So that kind of... I'm sure it helped bring the the, the concept to the masses. Oh, probably. I guess so. You hate that show, so you didn't hear of it there. Hate it. Don't like it one bit. No, I've heard of it before, but this listener reminded me of it. Okay, enough of that. Let's move on into the meat of this sandwich and do some of this. The Walking Dead News. So on the program today, we are going to do the Walking Dead news. There's a few interesting things to get caught up in. After that, it is into our Walking Dead actor spotlight with Michael Cudlitz, and then a special segment at the end uh, that I we only decided to do like a few days ago and uh, I think could be really fun. So Secret special awesome segment. Yeah, exactly. That's how I've been referring it to it all week, the secret special awesome segment. 
um, the SPAS, Secret Special, no, S-S-A-S? Secret Special Awesome Segment, SAS. SAS, all right. SAS. There's no P in there, I don't know. SPAS is a type of shotgun. All right, well, it's not that. Anyways, first item in the news, Season 5, Episode 1, speaking of, has a title released. I don't think we've mentioned this on the show, even though it's been out for like two or three weeks now. No, I, I don't know what the title is, but uh, can I guess what the title is? Yes. Uh, the title is, uh, they get out of the train car and away from uh, Sanctuary. That sounds like more of a description of the episode. No, that's the title. They're coming out with longer titles this year, <laughs> I heard. Boil that down, actually. Boil that down to two words and see if you, you might be able to guess this. Escape Sanctuary. That is so close. Yeah, what is it? No sanctuary. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) See? Um, So the title of episode one, season five, is No Sanctuary. And frankly, like you just proved, anyone probably could have seen that one coming. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. There is no sanctuary at Sanctuary. Um, The rest of the season doesn't have titles announced yet, but some of them, at least for the first half, will probably be coming soon. Oh, Denise, uh, what was her name? The uh, the lady that was uh, cooking meat, Denise uh, Denise Richards. Denise, uh, she was on Star Trek. Yeah, her name on the show is Mary. I can't remember her real last name. Yeah, well, uh, I think that uh, her, I think we should call her She Sells Sanctuary. The cult song. Yeah, the cult song. Because, you know, if you're going to have you play on word sanctuary, you got to have She Sells Sanctuary in there somewhere. And, uh, you know, the lady cooking meat, she's the one selling it. Selling the sanctuary, yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like she won't be selling it for very long, or the sanctuary that she sells has a short lifespan. Is she even in the episode? Yeah, oh, she's in it, I think. Well, I mean, I haven't, sure? seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet, but I believe she's in it. I'm not sold on that. I don't know if she will be. Okay, well, <laughs> less than a month. She well, leaves shows, you know. Is that what she, she does? She left Star Trek after like the third season or second season or something. Was she killed off? Yeah, she was totally killed off. Well, I have a I have a bad feeling for Mary's character on this show too. So yeah. she might be killed off once again. Uh anyways, that's it. Season five, episode one, no sanctuary. We will talk about the rest of the uh episode titles when they're released. McFarlane Toys, you remember them. They yeah. have been releasing Walking Dead action figures for some time now, and they've put out a bit of information on series seven of their figures. And if you recall, they do series of figures. Some some are for the TV show, some are from the comic. This group is a new set of TV figures. And we have Michonne, Carl, Gareth, and Mudwalker. So, uh... That's mo- a zombie, right? Mudwalker? <laughs> Mudwalker, yeah. It's not Jeff Mudwalker. Oh, is there a Jeff Mudwalker? <laughs> no, but there should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking that up. Jeff Mud. Walker. Mudwalker's a good last name, actually. If if anyone out there is thinking of changing their last name, changing their name legally, choose Mudwalker. I think that's really good. Yeah. There you go. A- Anastasia Mudwalker. See? That's a really good one. Um, I would just like to say that these, car- these new figures come with some accessories. Michonne, for example, comes with a katana with a sheath. She comes with a Terminus Memorial candle and a can of cheese. Mm. We know where that can of cheese comes from. Carl comes with a removable hat, knife, flashlight, also a Terminus Memorial candle, and a can of pudding. 
Oh, good. Oh, my God, that's good. Yeah. I'm very happy about the pudding. Yeah, a big two-liter can of pudding or whatever that was. Gallon. That's a gallon of pudding, my friend. A gallon. I don't know from gallons. I'm Canadian, remember? Two and a half liters. All right. Uh, and, and then Gareth comes... This one, this one's interesting. He comes with no food, except he comes with a rotting human carcass. Well, why isn't that not food? Like I said, he does not come with any food, or maybe he does. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's, you know, that's weird. I think that he would come with a rotting human carcass. It's, it doesn't seem like an accessory for an action figure. It seems like maybe a, an action figure by itself. Especially on a zombie show? Right. Well, if it had a strap, it'd just be a handbag, right? <laughs> Rotting human carcass backpack. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you carry alligator carcasses as bags and shoes and stuff. That's true. So why not a, a human carcass as a, you know, a backpack? Yeah, you could Tie do Tie the it. arms around your neck, fill the, you know, the chest cavity full of donuts or, you know, nuts or what have you. <laughs> and off donuts you go. or regular nuts. Well, I figure, you know, if they're out in the wild, they might uh, have a hard time finding donuts, but they might have an easier time finding actual nuts. Maybe blueberries. Blueberries, you know, know, depending on where you are. If you're, you know, in the southerly area, you could fill it with bananas. Oh, human carcass full of bananas. That's right. (laughs) Anything you would need, I guess, to carry around. Um, I'm still creeped out by tying the arms around your neck. God, that would be horrible. Extra shirt. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) <laughs> um, okay, what do you think about Gareth as a figure, though? I mean, does this mean Gareth is sticking around on the show for a while? Uh, it could be. It really could be. I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, they might put it out there just because he's been on the show. So, you know, who knows? I wouldn't. I don't think we've had any other figures, though, from characters that were on, like, one episode or two, maybe. All the figures have been, even the sort of supporting uh, action figures have been, like, uh, Merle, you know, who was on lots of episodes. And um, I don't remember if there was a Dale one, but Dale and Andrea, I think they, they have figures, although I can't remember 100% right now. But if they don't, that's even more telling that some of those characters had, you know, no figures. But now we get an action figure of Gareth, who, for all we know, is going to die in season five, episode one. Right. I think this means he's sticking around for a while. Yeah. And I, I think even from the uh, the trailer that we saw that uh, there are, uh, you know, there's, we see him in what I consider to ha- be more than just the, uh, the premiere episode. Yeah. Although that trailer is, is likely made up of maybe the first two or three episodes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's long enough to sell some toys, right? I suppose. I suppose if he turns out to be an important character or some kind of actually kind of big villain, then yeah, you're right. It's enough to sell some toys. Mm-hmm. And what else are they trying to do? Uh, so those will be be available, you know, I'm not sure, but likely this fall, coming coming soon. Okay, Norman Reedus plays Daryl on the show, in case you aren't paying attention. Yep. And he is releasing a book of fan art. People Ooh. love drawing fan art of uh, Daryl Dixon. So he's collected it all, and the book is called Thanks for All the Niceness. Nice. Yeah. Um, this from the press release, thanks for all the niceness is Norman's way to show his gratitude in a compilation of artwork made by his fans. The Norman slash Daryl archetype is created in tattoo designs, cakes, 
pencil sketches, mosaics, and more. Norman selected over 100 fascinating pieces that appear in this beautifully designed book. It's real art made by real people for real people. In a real book. Yeah, and it's available October 31st. And according to the press release, a significant portion of the proceeds will go to the Bachman, Strauss, Dystonia, and Parkinson Foundation. That's 6%. Well, I don't know. A significant portion, they say. Well, yeah, it could be. I mean, I would consider 6% a significant portion. If it was something that I was going to make a, you know, a shit ton of money on, and I was going to give away 6% of my proceeds, I would consider that a significant portion. Okay, well, I don't know what Norman Reedus or his people consider a significant portion, but something will go to that foundation, that charitable organization. The book is available on October 31st. That would be Halloween. And you can get more information at bigbaldbook.com. Um, I bet you there's some pretty cool stuff in there. Do you remember when Dave made those uh, that three-panel comic print starring mm-hmm. Daryl Dixon? Mm-hmm. And we gave some away to a listener. Um, I, I told Dave to submit his work, and I'm not sure if he ever did, but I hope he did. And uh, I don't think he made the book, but I'm sure there's lots of awesome stuff in there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'd be cool. It would be cool. I've seen a lot of art. I mean, when when um, when Norman Reedus was at Fan Expo last year and I went and met him, every, almost like every other person gave him a piece of art, including me, actually. I gave him some of Dave's art, and he had it all up on the wall behind him, behind behind his desk, his booth. And it would, the wall was just getting jam-packed full of stuff, and he was really the only person that had a giant art wall behind him. So people seem to like drawing him and making cakes and tattoos and stuff like that. Cool. Good stuff. Uh, All right. Netflix will be airing The Walking Dead Season 4, in case you haven't seen it or you want to watch it again and again and again, and you have a Netflix account. It will be coming to that online service on Sunday, September the 28th. That's a good day. Season 4. And along with that, in case you don't have the Netflix but you do have AMC, they've scheduled their annual catch-up marathon or biannual. I think they do at least two of these a year. That'll be starting October 6th at 7 p.m. with Season 1, Episode 1, the pilot. And it will run through the end of Season 4 on the 12th, leading into Season 5, of course. So you have lots of time over that, uh, I don't know, six-day period to get caught up on every single episode if you want. Or just rewatch it to get back in the Walking Dead mindset before Season 5 starts. Right. So... I will be probably watching some of those. Definitely seeing the last episode of season four, probably as it leads into season five. Right. That's, That's probably uh, a good idea. Yeah, it, it can't hurt. Feels uh, it's, it's always good to do that. I actually usually, most Sundays actually, I watch at least part of the previous episode right before because I turn the TV on early, get comfortable, get settled, and then just sort of roll right into the new episode. So grab a smoke, you know, crack open a beer, put your feet up. Well, if I smoked, but I don't. So maybe the beer and the feet up, though. Right. Okay. I do enjoy those things. Um, Finally, and here's some news. It's a little bit of news about the Companion series. Oh, right. The Walking Dead Companion series. I don't know if you could... I mean, this is news, but it's not really information. All it is is that AMC has officially ordered the pilot, and production will begin late this year. So they filled out a purchase order. Sent that over to the uh, the Walking Dead Companion warehouse, mm-hmm. and uh, they placed their order. And then that order will go through the uh, 
the, uh, the, the receiving department and then through the manufacturing department and the, the processing and then, uh, then it'll go to shipping and then the logistics will take it over and uh, deliver it by truck. That's more or less what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure that's how TV is produced. The one thing you forgot to mention, though, is that AMC owns all of this, as yeah. we've talked about before. You still need to send a purchase order, my friend. Oh, you definitely do to make it all official. Yeah, if you don't have a PO number, you don't get nothing. But it may never leave the same building. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways, um, Robert Kirkman had this to say, and this is a good one. There are many corners of the Walking Dead universe that remain unseen in the shadows. Being given the opportunity to shine a light into those corners and see what lurks out there is an absolute thrill. I know the fans are anxious to hear what Dave and I have been cooking up for this uh, new universe of The Walking Dead, and I'm happy to be one step closer to sharing it with them. Huh. I only Dave, have I... one small problem with that. What would that be? The universe does not have any corners, my friend. Ooh, well, look at you getting all picky with the semantics. Yeah, that's, that, that's it. But again, that's what you do, so that's fine. Um, uh, the Dave he refers to is one other executive producer on the spinoff, who I don't think is the same Dave Dave Alpert who works on the main show, but is a different Dave. These are the Daves I know, mm-hmm. and uh, so they're working together. And production will begin in late 2014. So. Unless they really keep their cards close to their chest, we should get information about casting, locations, things like that coming as we move into the fall here. That sounds like fun. And I look forward to getting it because I'm curious about this damn show. I really want to know something. I want to know what to expect and where it's going to go. So come on, AMC, give us, you know, throw us a bone here. We want to know. Yeah, send us a script, people. (laughs) Maybe not this, well, sure, send us the script or send us the press release. Like, get us on that list. Send it out. We will uh, cover this bad boy for you. Maybe maybe we should send in a purchase order, you know? Maybe. we should. Maybe you and I should order the rest of the season and see what happens. Yeah, okay. I'll just, <laughs> uh, I'll dig into my vault of, uh, you know, $30, 35000000 million uh, per episode. You I'm know, not saying want to make it want to make it good, right? Yeah, I'm not saying we pay for it. Just send in the purchase order, and uh, you know, I'm yeah, sure that, that's the invoicing department uh, that has to pay for it. We just we're just sending the purchase order. That's a very good point. That's right. I mean, I'm sure the invoicing department will assume that it came from AMC proper and bill them, right? Yeah, we'll put their logo on it. Totally. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, all I'm saying is AMC, give us some info. We want to know. And that's it for the news, Jason. It was a quick uh, rundown of the latest news. I want to take a really quick break okay. to uh, talk about some stuff. And when we come back, it is time to break down the past work of the man who plays Sergeant Abraham Ford on The Walking Dead, Mr. Michael Cudlitz. We're going to break it down. I went walking in the garden. I was tripping on snakes. I ain't asking for your love and I'm just asking what your love is gonna take Ignorance is bliss when you're young enough to kiss a Love you gonna make 
Today's podcast is brought to you by you, the Talking Dead listeners. Visit patreon.com slash the Talking Dead to help support the show by making a small monthly pledge, which will help defray the cost of putting on this big podcast. You can pledge as little as $1 per month, uh, and there are a few different levels you can go to and some fancy rewards such as signed uh, autographed postcards from us or even some custom one-of-a-kind unique artwork drawn by friend of the show Dave. If you want to support us with a quick monthly pledge, visit patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. You can also uh, use our handy-dandy Amazon link, uh, the amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com, where if you're going to do some Amazon shopping, just uh, you know type in that link or click the link on our uh, on our website and go to Amazon and you know, do your purchases, do whatever you need to do, and Amazon will send us a kickback, which is always handy for helping to keep the lights on and the mics hot. Thanks to everyone who supports the show through one of those two ways. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. Welcome back, everybody. It is time to do our Walking Dead actor spotlight on the man himself, Michael Cudlitz. After this, a little surprise coming up. We're going to talk about something else that is loosely related to The Walking Dead, but I think should be entertaining enough. So, Jason, we watched uh, a few things from Mr. Cudlitz's back catalog of material. Yes, um, we did. Let's start with... We watched some TV mostly, but we also watched a movie called Dark Tourist. Let's start Dark with that Tourist. one. All right. So from what I remember, uh, Michael Cudlitz plays a uh, security guard gentleman that uh, likes to go to places where violent crimes occurred, mm-hmm. especially serial killers. So he'll, he's basically, he is the dark tourist. I thought maybe this was going to be like the dark passenger from uh, uh, Dexter, but uh, it uh, was the dark tourist. He likes to read true crime and then go to those crime scenes. Yeah, it, it's much more literal than Dexter. He is actually a dark tourist. He's actually a tourist. Yep. Um, uh, the movie had another title originally, which I forget now. Um, oh, Grief Tourist, or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. There was, it said in the, in, the, in the show, there was actually a, uh, a Grief Tourist. I think, I think that's what it was, Grief Tourist. Yeah. So this movie... Um, I have mixed feelings on this film because I actually think it started out really quite good. I I liked the setup quite a bit of him, Michael Cudlitz's character, as a seemingly normal dude, works a night shift as a security guard, but has a fascinating, uh, or a fascination, I should say, with with serial killers. And, you know, you may argue that that's a little bit weird to begin with, but... You know, if you're studying them or from a historical perspective or a, you know, a society perspective, I mean, serial killers can be a very interesting subset of society to study. And I thought that kind of premise was a good setup for the movie. And there's some early scenes with Michael Cudlis going to work and one with one of his coworkers. And you you get the feeling that he's 
you know, uh, a pretty normal guy with some unusual interests. Yeah. And um, I liked that setup and I liked that premise and I thought this might be pretty cool. I hope this movie goes the way I want it to. Sadly, <laughs> I can't which, say that it really did. Which way did you want it to go? Well, I wanted it to be um, a character study of a guy who has these interests, who maybe has some, maybe has some trouble in his in his real life, but is actually a a well put together guy who's studying this kind of thing, and you know maybe it's a if if it's a character study of this guy who's obsessed with murder, maybe along with his own troubles or or i don't know issues it's kind of and it's a study of what that does to a man's psyche maybe but for me the movie didn't really go that way at all because it for me it came into kind of a paint my numbers sexual thriller and i thought it was predictable to be honest i was sitting there watching it at the beginning going i have a feeling i know what's going to happen here i don't want that to happen but I think it's going to, and it kind of did go down that road. And I ended up not really liking the second half of the movie or second two thirds at all. I found the whole movie kind of boring and predictable. Like mm-hmm. I kind of right from uh, from the moment I figured out that this wasn't going to be Dexter, I kind of knew exactly what was going to happen. He's the dark tourist. We're going to spoil this. Is that? Uh... Is that okay? Uh, I think so. Yeah, spoilers for the dark tourist coming up right now, sounds like. So he becomes the thing that he uh, is interested in. Yes. Right? So instead of becoming the dark tourist, he becomes the, uh, the, the what do you, I don't even know how to put it, the, the thing that other people come and look at because they're dark tourists as well. Yeah, he, and, he becomes the object of his own fascination. There you go. That's the articulate way to put it. Um, so I, I kind of knew that's exactly what was going to happen, right? Yeah. That's what I mean too, by, by being able to sort of see it coming. Like I thought to myself, you know, he's, he's in the movie, he's obsessed in particular with this one serial killer. And I thought to myself, oh, they're going to go, there's going to be a twist at the end where he's actually going to be that serial killer. He will be him literally. Now it didn't quite go that that far. No, see, I was like, I don't want that to happen. I feel like I've seen that happen millions of times in movies before. And it didn't quite go that far, no, but he did become the object of his own obsession, right? He became a killer. And he was clearly, clearly messed up, like seriously. And I was hoping that it wouldn't go there. I was hoping we'd stick with a character who was a little bit more grounded and who was a little bit more in control of himself and maybe see what this kind of obsession does to a man who is otherwise well-adjusted. And clearly Michael Cudlitz's character, I think his name was Jim in the movie, was not well-adjusted to begin with. True. And well, I, we knew that right from the outset, though. Like, he, the, the first, the opening scene was him getting ready for work and then, uh, you know, with voiceover of uh, him talking about his doctor saying it's not good for him, he's got, it needs to be more socialized, and he gets there and he's got this book that he's got, it's all a ragtag book and with photos in it and writing all over the place and he's, everything's particular. He piles up his sandwiches. He puts, he lines up his granola bars. He takes the light bulb out of the, uh, 
out of the lamp and puts in his own light bulb. He takes his shoes off. He puts on his slippers. He's obviously uh, obsessive compulsive. And uh, this is painting a picture of this guy that is ready to snap. Oh, but I don't think any of those things lead to like serial killer though. Not like, in real life. In In bad movies they do. Well, and this is my point. I was hoping it wouldn't be a bad movie and go there because I think, I think this character could have had all these sort of hangups or obsessions or, or OCD tendencies, whatever, and still not, you know, go full blown crazy. But, right. but seeing what this kind of obsession does to a person that has these tendencies, I think would have been a much more nuanced movie and a little bit more interesting. All right. My my wife has a number of rules for TV and movies. Right. The rules are if you wear a white shirt, you're going to get blood on it. <laughs> if you're wearing the same clothes as uh as someone of the opposite sex, you're going to have a relationship. If you're obsessive compulsive at the beginning of a movie, you're going to end up being a killer. That's well, the way it works. Well, clearly she's identified a common thread in movies because that's exactly where this one went. And that's why I didn't like it. I, I mean, the other thing is I probably, I think I could have done with a little less of the sexual violence in this movie. Like it, it was pretty brutal at times. It was, there was uh yeah, a, a very brutal scene. Uh, yeah. For, I thought a couple actually, um, I, on the, on the positive though, I think Michael Cudlitz actually put in a really good performance in this movie. Oh, I got creeped out by him for sure. Yeah. Definitely creeped out. Melanie Griffith too, in a, in an interesting role I thought was really good um i liked her i liked her role i really did i me too and you know i i could have even i could I, I would have even gotten on board if if the movie was kind of about him and her coming together sort of and how even if they they struck up a, a normal relationship you know from their and and maybe bonding over grief because they both had some grief in their life right he was the grief tourist and yep. She lost her husband at some point earlier on, uh, you know, three years before the movie, she said. And, you know, a movie about two characters who bond over that grief, I think, again, would have been more interesting. At least it would have been, in my mind, a little bit more unique. And I'm not saying that's that kind of thing's never been done on film before, but I just thought this movie went exactly where you expect it to. If it, you know, it got a little more violent than I expected to, but... I don't know. I there was so much potential here that I think was just wasted on a on a typical thriller down the middle. Right. So it, the, the whole movie seemed kind of wooden and predictable to me. Yeah, I was reading some of the um, Netflix comments or reviews on this movie, and people were very polarized on it. Some of them were like, "This is amazing. This is the greatest thing." People were comparing it to um, like Taxi Driver and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! Well, yeah, you can compare it. You can compare this to you know anything you want. You could compare the movie to World War II, in that it was nothing like World War II, but that's a comparison. <laughs> well, right? sure. I don't know. Taxi Driver is a man's descent into madness, sort of, and I guess this is too. So, uh, yeah, but Taxi that. Driver is a uh, a classic movie that everybody knows about. This dark tourist movie I'd never heard of before and and neither had you and neither had anybody else apparently (laughs) until they saw it and then they went whoa that's like taxi driver but on on you know on the surface yeah they're both you know probably filmed on celluloid (laughs) and uh you know 
had an editor. Maybe not. So even. yeah, it was like Taxi Driver. This movie was shot just a few years ago. It could have been easily shot digitally. I don't know. Um. Anyways, bottom line, I'd say this movie big disappointment for me. Michael Cudlitz though and Melanie Griffith were great uh, as as actors in it. And uh, there was a funny MySpace page reference right at the beginning. Yeah, I thought that that was funny too. <laughs> Which this movie's listed as 2012. That's only two years ago, so it must have been shot at least two or three years before that. Well, people still use MySpace. There's probably still millions of people out there using MySpace. I don't know. Is there? I'm not even sure MySpace is still online. I still see, you know, somebody's name at AOL.com email addresses. That's different. MySpace is long gone. AOL's from the 90s. MySpace is from at least the, you know, the early thousands. I guess. I guess. I I don't know. I think this movie may have been shot earlier than that. Because the other thing was at the beginning, some of the voiceover that he did um, was talking about, wasn't he talking about like how people... In this really connected world, he doesn't feel the need to be connected or anything like that, and he doesn't yeah. he doesn't think that's a good thing. And I thought we were going to get some themes of, yeah, like digital connectivity and how that's wrecking society and stuff like that. But all that was out the window, too, by the time he went on his vacation. So, yeah. Anyways, not amazing. Um, I'm going to say right now, a little bit of a spoiler for the rest of this actor spotlight, that Dark Tourist I was most disappointed with out of everything yeah. we watched. Yeah, keep that to yours. That that I do not share that opinion. All right. Well, let's talk about Band of Brothers then. Okay. Band of Brothers. We only promised to watch episode one, um, but I had a number of listeners call and write an email in and say, watch episode four, because Michael Cudlitz has a big part in that. And so I did. I watched one, two, three, and four. Good for you. And I have never seen Band of Brothers before, but of course you are a big fan of it. This is probably my fifth or sixth viewing of Band of Brothers. Well, did you did you get up to four? This sort of rewatch. I, did. I watched all of episodes one, two, three, and four, and I will continue on after this. Yeah, I will because you know it feels kind of odd to you know watch one to four and not finish off the series. It, it would be weird, especially for me since I've never seen it before. At least you've seen it before. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Oh, this is a, it's a great great miniseries. Really, really good. Um, I don't know like what else to say about it. It is it is awesome. I thought it for, for those of you that don't know what Band of Brothers is, it it's a it's a, a mini series following the true life escapades of Easy Company in the 101st Airborne uh through their journey in World War II, starting from uh initial training and uh conception of the 101st Airborne through to uh where Easy Company was at the end of World War II. Right, so they deploy in 1944, yeah, and the war ends in 1945. But you know, I've never been in war. I have probably never been in anything even remotely similar. But I felt like this show captured the kind of frenetic and insanity of being in battle. Like, I mean, there's no way these guys are very well trained. You see the training in the first episode. But there's just no way you can prepare, I think, for what it's going to be like on the front lines. And it it really portrayed that to me because the battle scenes in this and the fighting scenes I thought were great. I thought they were appropriately nuts, like totally bananas. Like there's a lot of characters and I it's, it's hard to keep your bearings the first time you're watching it of where exactly things are happening, what's going on, who's who, because there are a lot of characters. But I feel like that's almost intentional. And if you were in a war zone, 
at least me anyways, I'd be like, what the crap is going on trying to keep my myself, you know, focused on, on the job at hand. Yeah. Which is basically keep you and the guy next to you alive. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty much it. That sounds simple, but I'm sure it's not when there's bullets. Every, everything around. else is uh, somebody else pointing the finger as to what direction you go in. But your whole job is to just keep yourself alive and you're the buddy next to you. And that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Sure. Which I don't think is easy. I, uh, no, in, God, no. in that scenario. And it captured that really well. And I can see how you would get, you know, a lot of enjoyment out of watching this more than once because maybe the second or third time watching some of these fighting scenes, you're like, okay, now I know who everyone is. I, I understand exactly what they're doing and so on. And you can kind of keep it straight a little bit better. But for me, it was like, man, this is just out of control. It's amazing the way they've depicted all this. But, you know, boy, does it ever capture what it's like to be in a, a real battle. Now, I say that, of course, having no idea what it's like. So someone out there who has some experience along these lines may be like, what the hell? You're an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I fully accept that. Right. That's fair. So Michael Cudlitz in uh, episode four, particularly, had he played a, a larger role in that uh, that episode. I thought he did a really good job. Fantastic job. He is one tough mother. He has a bullet pulled out of his shoulder. Yeah, and barely flinches, barely bats an eyelash. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And he had to, uh, he had to bayonet some uh, some guy in the face. Did you see that? Did he get him right in the face? He got it. Yeah, he was in a fight in a barn with, uh, and he wasn't firing his rifle, and the the uh, the German soldier, his rifle jammed, so they basically had a uh, a bat fight with their rifles. And right. uh, Michael Cudlitz uh, stabbed him in the chest with his bayonet, and then bayoneted him in the face. Oh man. That's that is harsh. Yeah, they were. He was hiding in that barn at that point, and um, this this German soldier was the only guy who realized he was there, yep. and uh, so he didn't want to shoot him and and draw the attention of everyone else. So he, uh, you're right. They had a bat fight <laughs> with guns. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that was really really good. The um, one thing I liked about that scene is that uh, it actually harkened back to the first episode when they were going through basic training and going through the drills of hand-to-hand combat combat with your right with the rifle. And so the uh, the way that Michael Cudlitz finally overcame uh, his opponent was by using the the maneuvers that he learned in uh, the basic training. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, you know not only does that depict the the you know the man versus man uh, it also depicts the uh, the training versus uh, you know the, the the training that the that the Americans went through versus uh, this German soldier was very young, and this was later in the war. Uh, so, well, not you know not so much later in the war, but he wasn't really at the beginning. So this this soldier was uh, obviously had inferior training. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was the American training versus the German training at the end, when the American training overcame the German. Yeah, it speaks to experience a little bit too, right? Yeah. Training and experience having been there for a few months and, and so on. Um, a lot of familiar faces in in uh, Band of Brothers, boy. Including, uh, did you notice, uh, what's his name? Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, exactly. Yeah. I picked Simon Pegg out in that small little role, I think in the first episode. I don't know if he comes back. Um, but yeah. Might he did the second. They were in England at the time. Uh, no. Yeah, first episode. He was in the first episode still in the United States. He just stood there. I don't think he had a line, I don't think. No, he got a, he was a runner. He uh he dropped off some something to uh right. 
what's his name? <laughs> yeah, to David Schwimmer. Yeah, wasn't it? No, not David Schwimmer. It was. Uh, <sighs> I don't well, know. Guy. He, he was standing beside uh, one of the commanders. You know, I must admit, I had a hard time taking David Schwimmer seriously for a while because he is just so much Ross Geller that you know I had a hard time separating that and and seeing him as a different character here. Now he comes. He's not in just the first episode. He comes back later on in, I think, three and four. And by then, I was okay with it. I'm sort of past the Ross Geller thing. But at the beginning, I'm like, oh, my God, what's Ross Geller doing there? That's I don't like this. Well, yeah, and that kind of was the point as well. It was a you-can't-take-this-guy-seriously thing. <laughs> so so they... I thought that he was really well cast in that role. You have to listen to him. He's your superior officer. He's in command. But God, we just can't take this guy seriously. Yeah. Well, it's, that's funny. They type, they cast a typecast actor to sort of help portray that. If that's what they were doing, I guess it's genius, but it worked for oh, I'm me. I'm sure that that's what they were doing. Yeah. Because there's, for- uh, you know, there's lots of satire out there. Even uh, Catch-22 was, there was this guy uh, he, who ended up being a major and his name was, his last name was Major. So he was Major Major. Of course. And oddly enough, his first name was also Major. His father, uh, <laughs> for some reason, they, they, throughout the book, it's a, it's a great book. Go read Catch-22. Yep. Uh, this guy's dad, uh, when he was born, filled in the, the paperwork for his birth certificate, and his full name was Major, 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 and he joined the Army. So he was, he was you know, uh, Major Lieutenant for a while, and then Major Captain. It's just like, we got to get, you know, they kept promoting this guy because he was such an idiot that the only way to get rid of him was to promote him out of the uh, uh, out of the way. So end- <laughs> he ended up being a major. So he was major, 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 major. <laughs> right. Major captain, major, major, major lieutenant, major, major, and major, 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 major. Exactly. So, and I think that that actually happened in the military where you had a hard time getting rid of people. The easiest way to get rid of somebody when they couldn't do a job was to promote them. <laughs> and they did exactly that to, to, to David Schwimmer. Yep. He was bad at his job. He was going to get people killed. All the NCOs uh, got together, resigned their commissions, uh, you know, like great personal peril. And eventually they said, okay, you can't do this job, so why don't you go run this uh, this jump training school <laughs> back in the States? Right. You can't refuse a promotion. No, you can't. You can't. Well, you can, but you you shouldn't. No. <laughs> so they promoted him out of his uh, out of his role. Well, I got used to him a, a little bit later on, so if he sticks around for more episodes, I don't know. I'll be I'll be okay with it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Spoiler, he's done. Okay. Well, um there was some absolutely amazing cinematography in this epi- in the, uh, well, in this show in general. The the end of the first episode when they're all loaded in their planes and they're flying toward the beaches. And the planes, I just loved the whole scene, actually, the way it was oh, That conceived. was amazing. Absolutely amazing. There's a, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of guys in these planes all shitting their pants because no matter how well-trained you are, like I said before, you don't really know what you're getting into. You can't expect it. And, and then just to see the shots of, like, all these planes, like hundreds of these planes approaching, flying over the ocean towards uh, France— and then the episode ends. I just thought it was spectacular and made me want to watch the next one right away. 
Well, that's why I said if you watch the first one, you'll want to watch the second one. Because the first one's just like, what the hell's going on here, right? They're running up Curahee. They're in uh, they're in England. They're driving around. They're doing some training. It's all kind of hodgepodge. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole series of s- scenes where they're just s- standing on an airfield waiting day by day to do something. And the military's all hurry up and wait, right? Right. Like you got you to gotta get there. You got to be ready. You got to be on the spot. You got to be there. You got to be geared up. And you got to wait. Mm-hmm. So it's hurry up and get there so that you can wait for you what you need to do. Yep. So and then all of a sudden you're on this plane and then you see this Allied invasion of France, uh, and you see the hundreds and hundreds of ships and you see the hundreds and hundreds of planes and you're like, holy crap, shit is about to go down. Yeah, totally. And I totally got that feeling. And then the second episode starts, of course, with the jump, and just the shots of of hundreds of parachutes coming down in the sky and like planes exploding behind them and crashing into the ground in the ocean. It was so well done. And, and so, uh, I mean, the effects were really good and I thought it was amazing. And I was even surprised like when they were standing around on airfields waiting and putting their gear on, like there's a scene where they, you're right, they're ready to go and then it gets canceled. The, the operation gets canceled. So they're all like, Oh, what do we do with all this stuff? But they're standing around. And I don't know if like all the planes and the trucks and everything that are time period appropriate were were really there and or not, or if they were added digitally somehow. But it all looked amazing to me. So they a lot had, of it was copy paste. You think like, so? When the planes were taking off, when you saw the the mass number of planes taking off, it was shots of the same plane taken off. Well, maybe because <laughs> I don't think they have that many of those things left. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like they must not have a lot, and they showed a lot of them in the air. I, I don't, I don't mean when they're, you know, flying over during the, during the initial invasion, but even when they're standing around, like you see them flying over and stuff like that. And it seemed like they had a lot of this stuff, which they probably didn't. So, but, so I think they did a really good job of making you feel like you're really there in 1944. Yeah. You got to remember that these planes, when they were manufactured in the the early forties, they weren't meant to last 60 or 70 years. Right. They were, get it done, <laughs> get it out the door. Right. Like, they really needed to gear up for this invasion, and they spent a lot of time manufacturing planes and stuff for this this invasion. So the uh, the fact that planes exist at all are is amazing and means that they're, uh, like, there's no parts left. Like, you can't go and go to a scrapyard of uh, World War II bombers and find a carburetor or uh, a landing gear or a flap or something. You You have to manufacture that thing yourself. Yeah. Right, so there's very few of these planes left. Well, they did a fantastic job, I thought, of making it look like there's lots of them left. So, yeah, I don't know. Everything about Band of Brothers was was really really cool, and I look forward to watching the red. There's ten of them, right? So I got six yeah. more. Yeah, cool. Do not watch the Pacific, the companion follow up to Band of Brothers. Okay. It will be a sorry disappointment. <laughs> You've seen it's it in a similar vein. I've seen it. And it's just, it's not there. Okay. I will only, I'll stop at Band of Brothers and not go any further. All right. uh, What's next, Jason? Beverly Hills 90210 or Southland? Beverly Hills 90210. Beverly Hills 90210, season three, episode 27, called A Night to Remember. The worst and most horrifying, horrible thing I've ever had to watch for this podcast. That is absolutely horrendous. It was pure and utter torture. (laughs) That is, that is not true. It, you like this show? 
Jason Priestley and Tori Spelling and the creepy girl with blonde hair and the 30-year-old sideshow Luke Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did like 90210 a lot when I was younger. And to start this one, this is loosely related to this, but I'm going to play this. It's a call from uh, Mike. And here's what Mike has to say to get us going. What's up, guys? This is uh, Mike from the actually Mid- Midnight Jury podcast. We do 80s and 90s uh, horror and pop culture and, and such. And, and when I was listening to your guys' show, which is one of my favorite Walking Dead uh, podcasts, uh, and I heard you guys bring up Beverly Hills 90210. I mean, look, you could be a guy, you could have, you know, have a wife, have a girlfriend, and still watch 90210. And when he was talking about Marsha Cross, the redhead, I was like, no, that's Melrose Place. Because, of course, I also watched Melrose Place at the time. I was the perfect age where I was probably late middle school, and I thought this was how high school and everything was going to be. And, of course, it had, they all the shows had beautiful women. So I'm very excited about what, you guys watching an episode of 90210. And, uh, hey, why don't you do an episode of Melrose Place, maybe the one where Kimberly, who is Marsha Cross, rips off her wig to reveal the huge scar caused by the accident after she came back from the dead. Jeez, I'm telling you, you, watch, you look at the back of any Melrose Place and read the episode synopsis, just one will blow your mind. There will be a rape, a murder, a uh, blackmail, a, I mean, you name it. I'd be surprised if you didn't see a zombie attack. Anyway, guys, this is Mike once again. Thank you so much, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Have a good one. Bye. A brain transplant. Yeah, there probably was. Uh, First of all, Mike, thank you for the kind words um, about uh, listening to us. Good to hear from you. And see, Jason, People like 90210 and Melrose Place. I never watched Melrose Place, but I was a faithful 90210 watcher for years and years and years. I loved it at the time. And I have a note that right here in my notes about this show, I wrote, so many memories when the theme song started playing, I got a warm and fuzzy feeling. Horrifying. I've lost a lot of respect for you today, Chris. (laughs) Hey, at least I liked Band of Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Gained a little bit back there. I didn't. I couldn't stomach this show when it was on the air. The only time I only remember ever watching one entire episode, and that was because I was interested in a girl, and I went over to her house to watch the show because I knew that she watched the show uh, and loved it. So I tried it out, and it was a, a weird, awkward experience, and I never went back to her house, and I never watched the show again. Well, uh... I saw all of them, as far as I know, and this watching this, kind of, it was so nostalgic for me, it, it made me want to watch more of them. And it's cheese, I, it's silly, and and like these kids do not act like high school students at all. But I didn't even realize that at the time when I was watching it. I realize it now. But it, it was so good. It was so like... It's unfathomable. So just, I just don't get it. Uh, I like how David is is such a huge tool in the way he dressed was so goofy. What's and a David? David, the guy who which the one, one, the blonde guy or the creepy rapper looking dude? Yeah, the rapper looking dude who was in the radio station for a while. He's he's Donna's he, boyfriend. He's talking about <laughs> okay, that means nothing. What what do you mean in the radio station for a while? In this episode, he was in a radio oh, right. station, like doing DJ stuff. Um, Donna's boyfriend, she's the blonde who got drunk, Tori Spelling. Right. 
Um, Tori Spelling, I know, because her father ran the show, and that's how she got the role. Right. And she ended up being Tori Plus 8 or whatever the hell that reality show is where she has a husband and, like, 17 yeah, kids or that, something. That's contemporary Tori Spelling. This is back when she was awesome on 90210. Didn't seem awesome. She was <laughs> It was horribly acted. She didn't seem drunk to me. She seemed like it was, I don't even know what it was. Uh, it was predictable. It was cheesy. It had... Uh, unfortunate haircuts it had uh it had nothing that was appealing to me it was awkward and annoying and painful physically painful the- my wife had to take the remote away from me so that i wouldn't fast forward sections without michael cudlitz in it number one did jenny watch it when it was on like is she a fan yes okay so both, she understands to both of those she uh, she watched it when she was more of a melrose girl but uh she did watch 90210 did did she express any sort of feelings did she rewatch it with you yeah, she watched it with me. Right. And did she express any kind of feelings towards the show? Like, did she enjoy it? Did she I, enjoy rewatching it? I have no it? idea. Uh, I spent too much time yelling at the TV. <laughs> I couldn't hear her over my <laughs> over my rage. Uh, it wasn't that I couldn't hear her. It's just that uh, the entire 40 minutes was taken up by my annoyance and rage, and we both had to deal with that. Well, all So there was the- no time to deal with whatever she was feeling. <laughs> all the stuff that you hated about it is what I love about it, which is funny. Uh, and th- it sums it up. Speaking of Donna, there's a scene where she's getting ready for the prom, and she, her mom is there, and she says, how do I look? And her mom says, like, the princess you are. It was the cheesiest thing ever, but it was She perfect. looked like a prostitute. <laughs> she looked like a prostitute. It was, it was just this one simple little dress. She looked like she could have walked into a bar at a, uh, at a hotel and started charging five $600 to patrons in that bar. Well, this is one of the things. I mean, they don't act like high school students, but that's part of its charm, I think. I found a prostitute dress. Oh, you look sweet. Okay, what did you think of Cudlitz? He was he took um, Brenda to the prom, and I think he did a fine job. And it was funny to see him so young and trim and clean. He had cut. a haircut you could set your watch to. I thought That's he was right. Great. That's good. That's the same haircut he had in Band of Brothers. Yes, it is. Or pretty close, anyways. It was very flat on top. Right. It was you could have you could have put a tray up there with like hors d'oeuvres and stuff, and you could have walked around. It would have been no problem. <laughs> And that would have been amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sorry you hated it so much, but I thought it was amazing, and I might actually go back and start at the very beginning and watch the whole thing again. My hatred is so powerful that it might erase this show from history. I'm a little worried about that, that all these people, including your nostalgia, might get uh, wiped out because I hate the show so much. No, I think our nostalgia will keep it alive forever. All right. Let's talk about Southland. Can you redeem right, w- yourself? W- one more thing about uh, 90210. I will vow right here, right now, to my dying day, I will never watch another episode of this show. Ever, wow. ever, ever. It will never be allowed in my house again. If if some other 90210 alum shows up on Walking Dead and I tell you we have to, will you? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I-, I might pretend I did but I won't watch it. All right. Man, that's too bad. It's so good. (laughs) Southland, Jason. We watched season one, episode one called Unknown Trouble. Can you tell me that you liked Southland? I really liked Southland, and I liked Southland when it first aired, and I I remember this episode from uh, watching it back then and really enjoyed it, this watching as well. All right. I will tell you what I, well, in a second, I'll tell you what I liked about Southland because I really enjoyed it too. 
But I want to I want to know what it is about this show that that works for you because I think I have one specific reason. And um, but but I want to hear you first. Uh, if I kind of like this. What's that? If you can like articulate it. <clears throat> yeah, I like this kind of show. This this uh, this show is kind of kind of like The Wire in that uh, it's a, an ensemble cast and everybody has their personal shit and their personal shit is part of the show. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And and not only do they have their personal shit, but they have their work shit. And being a police officer in Los Angeles uh, means you've got some work shit to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I like that uh, this show was a mixture of all that, that we got everybody's personal life mixed in with their work life, and it was all just a jumbled mess that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, you come home and you got ants. Or <laughs> your your girlfriend slash wife is yelling at you because she wants to have a baby and you just think she's crazy. But you got to deal with that crap. It's just, it's uh, it's all very... It's just a ball of anxiety. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you here. The way I would describe it is <clears throat> a lot of cop shows are either like a detective show where it's all about detectives solving crime or it's a courtroom drama where it's, it's more legal process kind of thing or it's about cop uniform cops on the street and, and what they do. This show seemed to be about all of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the characters, Michael Cudlitz and his young partner, were uniformed cops going around doing their thing. There were detectives doing other things, investigating the disappearance of a of a girl. And they're all part of the LAPD, but they're not necessarily all related. And it felt like you see, you you got a bigger picture of what the entire Los Angeles police force was doing in any given day. And I don't know, having only seen one episode, if the sort of storyline extends as an all-encompassing story for the season, or if it's more this kind of just, you know, here's what this team of police officers and detectives and everyone is doing on at, at any given time. I almost think that would be really, really cool, where you're just seeing the different angles of police work happening in a city like Los Angeles, which is so big, so extensive, that you're always going to have all these different things going on. And for me, I just really, really liked that. It was kind of a picture of everything instead of a focused look at one aspect of police work. I agree. I, I agree with you that uh, that it does give you that kind of overarching kind of uh, sense of what the hell's going on mm-hmm. and with everybody's personal crap and everybody's professional crap. But cutting through that, all of that, the 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 one of the main themes in this episode and in the show in general is that sure there's a lot of shit you got to deal with personal shit you got to work deal with work shit there's all kinds of crap going on but every once in a while you can do some good and if you can't yes. hang on to that then you don't deserve to be a police officer absolutely i think cudlitz articulated that when he was talking to his partner after his partner shot a dude you know he said that it, we work at this job day after day feeling like we're making no difference and it can be very soul-crushing because of that until you realize that one day you can take up like a bad guy off the streets kind of thing. Permanently. Permanently, yeah, permanently. And I, I realized at that point that this show, again, I don't know where it goes for the next four seasons, but I was thinking that this show will depict some of the biggest like victories for the LAPD, but also some of the biggest failures of the LAPD. 
and it's not going to be all like rah rah or all totally depressing. We're going to get both yeah. both aspects of of this job, and I really like that. I, I think it's a great idea. I I I like it too, and I really like this show. I I don't know why I didn't keep up with it, right? Like I didn't watch it for the full run. I think we watched uh, the first half of the first season. And it was uh, during the the time of appointment television, right? It was like, okay, I have to remember to watch this show on Thursday nights. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that nowadays, if this show came on, I'd be a little more able to watch it because I just buy it on iTunes. And every once in a while, I'd get like four or five shows backed up and be like, cool, flip it on. Let's watch it. Yeah. Uh, and so I like cop shows. I like all kinds of cop shows. I like the whodunits. I like the procedurals. I like the uh, cop on the street. I watch Third Watch. I watch NYPD Blue. I watch Law and Order. All of them pretty much until uh, SVU got weird. And uh, I like all kinds of cop shows. And just one little bit of trivia. Uh, they, uh, I don't know who they is, but a somebody polled a thousand police officers in New York City and asked them uh, what the most realistic cop show on television ever was. You know what the answer was? The Wire? Barney Miller. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Barney Miller, because everybody on that show uh, had a completely different ag- agenda. Wojohowicz wanted to get a promotion. That was his whole thing. There was uh, Tom, or what's his name? Tom Glass. He was on uh, uh, Firefly. He was like a, a new detective. There was an old detective, Fish, that just wanted to, you know, get to retirement if he could manage it. And then there was Barney Miller trying to hold his ragtag group of misfits together. And and then there was a, you know, it was all, all took place in the uh, in the precinct. And there was a there was a jail cell where they'd throw in a, a criminal every now and again, injecting craziness into the uh, already crazy band of misfits. So, and they <laughs> apparently uh, real police. Policing in New York City is kind of like that. Everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody's just kind of weird. And then you got this weird mix of crazy, you know, perps that come into your life and uh, really mess things up. First of all, I think it was Ron Glass, the guy from Firefly. Ron Glass, that's it, yeah. Um, but also, yeah, I can I can totally see that. Like, you know, po- the police force in Los Angeles or New York is massive. Like, there's thousands of, of guys, right? And different departments and precincts and whatever, whatever. So, having everyone on the same page all the time, you're just never going to have that. Everyone's going to have their own agenda. And that's probably like Barney Miller. That's a weird kind of way to see it. But, uh, that this show Southland, I think did a little bit of that. You know, we got different angles on what was going on and, uh, I really, really liked it. So I bought this first episode that we watched from iTunes. I might go and pick up the whole season and plow through it. There you go. So good stuff. And uh, Cudlitz was good. He was the sort of more experienced cop working with a young guy, and he was there to provide leadership and direction for this kid, and he does that. Give him a hard time. And give him a hard time, because new cops need to be given a hard time. Yeah, we found out that the, the cop is uh, comes from a rich family, and so he just basically needles this guy through their entire shift, going, you know, you if you're just doing this because it's you know, a fun, good time until you figure out what you want to do with your life. Stop now. Do everybody a favor. Just quit. Don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the first episode, after uh, this young cop is unable to, you know, completely f- uh, search somebody and a superior officer takes him down and ends up getting, like, takes him down to the police car, ends up getting shot because he still had a piece on him. Mm-hmm. The the young cop, as soon as he sees the gun, takes that guy out, right? And that mm-hmm. that he reacted quickly and correctly and did the exact right thing that he needed to do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the, the, the logbook that Michael Cudlitz filled out 
uh, said it all at the end that he was an exemplary officer, did everything he did, uh, every, everything perfectly. He's a great guy. He's going to be an asset to the force if he sticks with it. Oh, see, this gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling just like the theme song to 90210 did too. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> all right. Well, Southland, great. Band of Brothers, great. Beverly Hills, 90210, great. We got a thumbs up, thumbs down thing going on there. All right. And Dark Tourist, meh. <laughs> meh. Yeah. Disappointing, I would call it. All right. That's it for Michael Cudlitz. If you guys watched anything or you have any thoughts on what he does as an actor, let us know. Send us emails. Give us a call. We'd like to hear your thoughts on Mr. Cudlitz. All right, Jason, we got one more thing to talk about here. This is the secret special awesome Something. Something. Segment. Remember? Segment. The sass. So over this weekend, the Sci-Fi Channel. Siffy. That's right. Put out their new show, their new zombie drama show called Zed Nation. Or I suppose I should say Z Nation. Z Nation. That's probably what it is. And Z Nation. I realized it was on the air this weekend. I think it was Friday night. It was on, and I texted you and said, hey, we got to watch this and do a quick maybe comparison to The Walking Dead because it, of course, is a zombie show too. So we did that, and we're going to talk about it now. Jason, what did you think of Z Nation? Uh, In the first 30 seconds, I had three problems with the show. By six minutes in, I had the whole show figured out. And you and I te- and I was watching it while you were on uh, on Skype, and I texted you or uh, sent you a message saying I got the show figured out, and you said, "Well, you, I probably, I don't think so, or you don't, most likely, or something, something to that effect." Right. Uh, you were wrong. I had the whole thing figured out. Really? Yeah. Well, here's why I thought you might not, because I watched the first six minutes, or maybe the first bit. I don't know how much, and I, and I thought this show was going to go one direction. What direction not, was not, that? Not the band. I thought it was going to go, like, I didn't expect it to become so ridiculous at the <laughs> at the end. I did not expect it to go for laughs and just redonkulous action. Um, and that's what it did, I thought. I expected it to be a, at least a semi-serious take on a world infected by zombies kind of from a different perspective than we get in The Walking Dead because we have more of an organized I felt at the beginning more of an organized response to the zombies right um, and, and, and if I only watched the first six minutes I might think that's what the whole show was but then it just goes into the realm of the absurd ridiculous and comical and I didn't expect it to go that far down that road. So I thought if that's not what you were thinking, then maybe you hadn't figured the show out. But sounds like you did. No, as soon as uh, as soon as somebody told, uh, I don't even know the actor's name. He's Michael from Lost. He'll always be Michael from Lost. Harold Perrineau. Uh, yeah, as soon as somebody told him that he has to get to uh, this other location for whatever reason, and it's like, well, that's in California. It's like, okay, the whole show is going to be about trying to get somebody either a uh, a doctor who knows the cure or somebody who has the cure or something like that to uh either to or from this location 
mm-hmm. in California. And the dude in the control center, I knew he was either going to stay behind or get left behind, and he was going to be the eye in the sky kind of thing. He's going to be the the voice on the other end of a phone who has, uh, you know, all the technology and all the communication and is able to coordinate shit. Yep. I knew I, I knew that that's what was going to happen. I was thinking that Michael from Lost was going to stay in the show. The only thing that surprised me was that he died. I'm sorry. Spoiler. Yeah, whatever. Um, This show sucked. I thought it was absolutely terrible. (laughs) I thought it got better after the first two minutes. No. Uh, after the first six minutes. No, I was, I'm totally the opposite. When they introduced the zombie well, baby, it didn't get I great. Thought, it didn't get great, but it was better than the piece of crap that it started out as because I had like four problems with it. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm the opposite. I thought it started out okay. Um, but it, it just, was a plane sticking out of the top of a, uh, out of the top of a building just sitting there. Yes. It's like the plane would friggin' crack and fall apart. It wouldn't stick out of a plane, out of a, out of a building. Well, these are the things that you don't, I mean, I I can see how you're upset about that, but like in the grander scheme, that's it's just an effect that looked kind of cool. That's what they were going for. But I think like, um, you know, they introduced the zombie baby, right? Purely gratuitous, purely it it came off as silly. We talked so much about that kind of thing happening on The Walking Dead, which never did, right? And then they yeah. do it on this show, and. That's because they didn't do it on The Walking Dead. And they're probably thinking, oh, you know, the teenagers really want a zombie baby, and they haven't seen that since uh, Dawn of the Dead back in 1997 or whenever the hell that movie came out. And so uh, the kids today, uh, they want to see a zombie baby. But doesn't that make you so glad that The Walking Dead never went there or, or hasn't, you know? And if they do, do you think they could pull it off better, or would it be just as ridiculous? Oh, it'd be just as ridiculous. A zombie baby... Uh, wouldn't have any special powers. It, you know, it wouldn't be able right. to eat meat. Doesn't have any friggin' teeth or or run around, crawl around the, the place. I mean, I don't even. Yeah, I. Yeah, it, tur- it turned into the uh, the little thing, the little alien that came out of what's his name's belly in Alien, right? Or spaceball. <laughs> it's just a little thing <laughs> and ran around and chewed on people. It it just made me so glad and thankful that the the people that run the show we cover here week to week have more sense and clearly know what they're doing or at least have their eye on a different goal for what they're doing with the show. And I just think that the guys doing this show, Z Nation, are probably like, you know what? We're going to do our own thing. It's going to be ridiculous. We're going to do this for for laughs. Let's go all out. And it doesn't work for me. I think they were going for comedy. I think they were. Didn't you even no. notice there's a scene where everyone is towards the end standing there everyone's standing outside the building where the zombie baby is inside and uh I think it's then and and then they hear a gunshot but everyone jumps to the gunshot before before the gunshot sound effect No that was near the beginning when they were uh the old lady was dying and uh they were they shot her it's like I I offer you oh, mercy you're right you're right was. you're right you're right And then everybody jumped before the gunshot Yeah that was that wasn't comedy that was ridiculous editing but that's but why not fix that? I think they're leaving it in there for like okay, this is kind of slapstick. Let's let's go with it. I think we have compressed production schedules. I think we have uh, editors that they uh, they grabbed right out of uh, uh, I don't know the unemployment line. That can you be like, no? This was the same criteria we had for uh, members in the band I was in. Uh, somebody would walk up to us and say, uh, "Can can I be in the band?" And we'd say, "Yeah, join." You know, you're in the band. 
Oh, can you play an instrument? <laughs> well, well I sort of took recorder or I kind of played the trumpet a while in high school. Like, well, come on in. You're, you know, that's fine. <laughs> worry, about, worry about that later. No, I think in, it's such an easy thing to fix. I think it was an intentional, I think. I, I just, I don't know. It, it bothered me so much. I'm like, why not at least fix that? Clearly you're going for something here that I'm not ready for when it comes to a zombie show. No, I chalked all that stuff up to gross incompetence. <laughs> well, then these people <laughs> need to be fired. Then that's, that's. Oh, the show is crap and it's not going to go anywhere. Comes down to. Like, yeah. I'll be. Well, unless, you know, the 14 year old boys love it and think it's great. And, uh, this one thing that this show has that The Walking Dead doesn't have, like The Walking Dead is all about survival and about, uh, you know, uh, dealing with situations because all you're doing is trying to survive and what you need to do to survive. This show has a plot line right from the beginning. We need to get uh, this guy from point A to point B and we put this team of ragtag weird people together in order to accomplish that goal with a skinny guy with an influence supply of hot pockets uh, talking on the radio. DJ Qualls is that guy's real name. Um, you're, you're right. This does have that kind of storyline, but for me, a big difference here is that in this show, the zombies are the threat in the walking dead. The living humans are the threat. And that's a very different take on zombies, right? Or, like or, that uh, exactly. that lake full of zombies that all woke up at exactly the same time. Oh my god! What what were they doing? Were they like playing dead in the water? Were they dormant in some way? I I didn't even understand that. I don't know. There were crocodiles. I think there were crocodile zombies. <laughs> yeah. They were just playing crocodile. May, maybe, but I'm like, why are they? It didn't make any sense. Like, no, it doesn't make any sense. I, and they were very evenly distributed. Did you notice that? Copy throughout paste, the entire lake, paste. they were like just perfectly distributed throughout that lake so that there was equidistance from each other and from the edge of the lake. And then they all woke up at the same time and chased that guy. Right. I thought almost everything in here after the first six minutes was just so dumb. See, it's that kind of thing that makes me think that the entire production is incompetent and not, you know, they weren't doing that for a laugh. That was just ridiculous. And I don't think it was ridiculous on purpose. It wasn't satire. It wasn't uh, mocking anything. It wasn't uh, tongue-in-cheek. It was just pure production incompetence. Did you notice that near the beginning, they even had the gall to make a very blatant Walking Dead reference? Which one? Uh, Harold Perrineau, the uh, military guy who's escorting the other dude to California, he meets up with everyone in that camp before the camp is overrun, and he's telling them briefly about his recent history, about oh, yeah, his story. Prison. And he says, I spoke to an ex-cop and a bunch of people holed up in a prison about 20 clicks from here. Yeah. I'm like, F off. Like, I, I, that just made me so upset because this show paled in comparison. And I'm like, yeah. you have, you guys don't even have the, you, you're not in the same universe as The Walking Dead. You don't have the right to reference a show of that quality on a show of such lackluster quality like this. Yeah. Made me angry. Yeah, I, clearly. Every, I just, uh, I, I got the reference and I just thought it was ridiculous. Everything the about, whole thing was ridiculous. Everything about this show made me angry and uh, it will probably survive for at least one season because it's on sci-fi. It's not on a major network, but if this was on like an ABC or something, I bet you would be canceled after three episodes. I think this, uh, we've had this discussion before and we've, uh, 
we've come to this, this conclusion before, but I think that this show is targeted at a, a younger audience. They've given them a, uh, a clear enemy, a clear objective, and a clear cast of characters that mm-hmm. have some mystery, right? There's the lady in the cage. What were you doing in the cage? I was hiding. Where's the key? Oh, I lost the key. And then, like, something's going on with the lady in the cage. Something's going on with the lady with the bat. Like, she seemed a little too cool with that bat all of a sudden, which I thought was a cool bat. Right? I'll, I'll give you the bat. The spike bat was pretty good. Yeah. You know, the board, good old board with a nail in it mm-hmm. is, is a great weapon in a, in a pinch. So this bat was made out of an aluminum bat and aluminum, aluminum cans, apparently. So... Uh, they've got some, you know, a cast of characters with some mystery. We've had a major character die right off the bat. It's like, hey, I know that guy. He's from Lost. He's cool. He's also from, uh, uh, what's the name of that show? HBO show where he's in prison. He was in a wheelchair. Um, Oz. Oz, okay. Yeah, so he was in Oz. He was in Lost. Uh, so we had this character that's, uh, he even, <laughs> there's even a sound when they went to commercial that sounded like Lost. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice that, no. <laughs> and anyway, they killed off a major character, spoiler alert. Uh, so that seems like, whoa, they killed a major character. This show is cool. You know, like The Walking Dead, because The Walking Dead kills major characters, and like uh, Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones kills characters. Sure, but those are both really good shows. So when they kill a character, you feel it. In this, I was like, oh, he's dead, thank God. they killed God. the most well-known character, the most well-known actor in the whole show. Right, and so why did it feel so lame? Like on any other show, you wouldn't dream of killing the lead. If Rick died in the pilot of The Walking Dead, everyone would be like, oh, I can't believe they just did that. Here, I was like, please, this is ridiculous. That's my. That's how I felt about the whole thing. But he was killed by a zombie baby. Please, this is ridiculous. <laughs> a professional military uh, person, a soldier with uh, you know, full kit and a loaded weapon goes in to kill a baby <sighs> and the baby ends up killing him. I can't do it. I can't take this show. I just, oh my God. The more I think about it and talk about it, the more I hate it. When I was watching this, Christina and I sat and watched it together. She said it went off and she said, that was God awful. The Walking Dead producers must be laughing their heads off. And she's right. I hope they are. Well, of course they are. Because they're like, this is our competition on TV. Like, no, they, they're not trying to be competition. This is not trying to get the Walking Dead audience. This is trying to get younger viewers that don't like the Walking Dead because the Walking Dead is too cerebral. Ooh. You know, they don't run and gun. They don't, uh, you know, it's it's a little too, uh, it's a little too uh, adult for me. So now I have something that I can grab onto. I don't know. It's you, the wiggles of zombie shows. <laughs> right. You, you got to think, though, they're trying to capitalize to a degree on the popularity of The Walking Dead and the zombie, the audience for zombie properties. I think they're trying to capitalize on the success of The Walking Dead, but I don't think they're trying to grab the audience. Yeah, maybe I not. I think they're trying to grab maybe a corner of the audience. You know, there might be a uh, a small, you know, overlap of the people that would watch this show and watch The uh, the Walking Dead, but I think that it's it's more targeted to a, uh, a younger demographic that uh, The Walking Dead is, it's okay, but it's, you know, there's not enough gore and splatter and, uh, you know, uh, driving, you know, car chases and stuff. Right. Well, you're probably right about that, but I think you can't help but compare the two being zombie shows, really the only two that are on TV. And, uh, I don't think they really compare in any, any positive way. So no, this show is garbage. 
Total garbage. All right. If you have any thoughts on Z Nation, if you loved it, if you prefer this show to The Walking Dead, I want to hear. I want to hear why. So give us a call or send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you thought of Zed Nation. Because I know, I know a lot of you out there watched it thinking, hey, another zombie show. That's going to be awesome. Let's check it out. And that's going to do it, Mr. Miles, for this week on All the right, podcast. Mr. Fairhurst. Yeah, I like calling you Mr. Miles. Do you know? Yeah. It's it uh you command respect, right? So I have to call you Do Mr. I? That's crazy. <laughs> That's the first I time I ride a unicycle and uh run a Lego store. How can I command respect? <laughs> oh, good point. Um <laughs> okay. Well, uh and next... talk on the internet. Don't don't forget about that talking on the internet thing. There is that too, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll just call you Jason from maybe JJ. Uh, JJ works. I, <laughs> All like, right. I know might. Right. Control okay. my age there, right? Good times. You remember that from the seventies? I don't. I was only alive for half the seventies. Oh geez. Um all right. Uh our next podcast will probably be in a couple of weeks. We'll have at least one more before The Walking Dead comes on. Um a quick reminder, don't forget about our record your favorite scene contest. So get out those recording devices and pick a scene and start recording and sending them in. If you want to do that, or if you want to get in touch with us in any other way, you can, uh, for a little while more, give us a call in the toll-free Zomb line. That's 1-866-483-9662. You can also tweet us at Talking Dead or visit us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. And then uh, emails, um, anything you have to say or any thought that pops into your head, including record your favorite scene entries can be sent to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website and click on the send voicemail button where you can record a message right in your browser and it gets sent right directly to us. It's really easy and uh, quite fun, I must admit. Mm -hmm. So that's about it for this week, everyone. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. We'll see you next time. Bye. 